Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We're at a place where we could see a great outpouring of the Spirit of God in our time. Now, I have believed for years that the Lord had told me that that was the future, and I've prayed for that much over the years, but I have to admit, sometimes I just stop praying about it and I forget about it. But right now is a moment where you just realize that we need the Lord to intervene. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Isaiah chapter 60 through 62. Now here's Pastor Brian. For I, the Lord, love justice. I, the Lord, love justice. So when Jesus comes, all injustice, all inequity, all of that, will be dealt with and done away with. But we can't forget that the Lord loves justice today. We don't just idly sit by in the presence of injustice and do nothing because, well, the Lord's gonna come and he's gonna fix that. Um, No, we do what we can to rectify the, the situation. And... You know, we're, we're in a moment, again, where justice is a, is a big topic. And social justice, we hear a lot about social justice. And social justice is really a loaded term because it, it can have so many different meanings. For some people, it means one thing. And for some people, it means something else. In my opinion, for a group of people, what social justice means, I don't think is justice. <laughs> I'm, I agree with some people. So... But let's just think about justice for a moment. When I was talking with Dr. Tony Evans the other day in an interview, he talked about society was intended by God to be built on the two pillars of righteousness and justice. And he talked about how what's happened in society, but also even in the church, you have a a bifurcating of these two things. Instead of them, you know, being seen together, they're they're like split apart. And so he was talking about how some people, they're all about righteousness. So their concern is righteousness. So they tend to be passionate about the causes that are in that category of righteousness. And that would be, you know, righteous living before God, you know, doing things the way God says. So they would be passionate about the issue of of life and being pro-life. And they would be passionate about marriage and being pro-family. And they would be passionate about the wrongness of same-sex marriage and and things like that. So that's righteousness. And they're, they're passionate about those things. And then you got the justice group over here. And the justice group tends to be more concerned about the poor and more concerned about just laws for all people and and equality and um, those kinds of things. And there's a a separation between the two. I mean, you, you literally could probably in some ways, well, conservative and liberal would be good ways to kind of 
define these, these two different categories. The conservatives are concerned with righteousness. The liberals are concerned with justice. But you see, in the Bible, these are not separated. They're, they're together. So we should be equally concerned about both things. And what's happened historically in the church is people can be very passionate about righteousness but don't care anything about justice and actually do acts of injustice and not think twice about it. And likewise, some people can be all concerned about justice on this level, but you know, righteousness in regard to those things, they, they don't really care about that. And what Dr. Evans's point was, there's the two towers, he, I think he called them. And that's the way it works. God says he loves justice. He hates injustice. Jesus is going to deal with all those injustices. But again, we don't just sit by idly and say, well, you know, we can't do anything about that. The Lord's going to come and he's going to fix it. Now, I know people who are even saying that at this moment, you know, as we talk about the race issues and all of that that's going on in the culture. Some people are saying, well, hey, the Lord's coming back. He'll sort it out then. But, you know, we don't know exactly when the Lord's coming back. Hopefully it is soon. But I think the Lord wants us to work on sorting things out now, (laughs) just in case he doesn't come back as soon as we think he is. So some of the injustices can be dealt with. I know what it's like to, to, I was, you know, with a person for a long time who observed a ton of injustice and believed it was injustice, but also was convinced the Lord was coming so soon that they would just fix it. And he didn't really need to worry about that. But that didn't happen. And those injustices went on and, you know, they were left to be dealt with at a future time, but they should have been dealt with earlier. And so we, as God's people, we have to remember God loves righteousness, but he also equally loves justice. So we shouldn't be divided between the two. And our gospel should not be one that that merely emphasizes, you know, personal righteousness, but it also ought to emphasize the fact of justice, not only in our personal dealings, but in our society as well. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. So this is, this is what Israel will say in the future. And of course, this is what we today would say in the present, right? That God has clothed us with the garment of salvation. He's covered us with a robe of righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus that has been put on my account that gives me my perfect standing before God. And so as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its bud and the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all nations. This is the thing that we wait for. We wait for Jesus to come and to bring about a righteous world. 
a scholar uh, named N.T. Wright. He, I like the way he puts it. He talks about the Lord coming back and he's putting everything to rights. I just like that phrase. He's going to put it to rights. He's going to make it all right. And hallelujah, that he is able to do that. Man, you think of the power of evil and you think of how it's such an invincible force, it seems. And yet the Lord himself, he's going to destroy the wicked with the breath of his lips, as we read in Thessalonians and he's going to establish that righteous kingdom that's coming. So for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land anymore be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hepzibah, which is a Hebrew word that means my delight in her And your land shall be called Beulah, which means married. And so their past, again, as being forsaken and desolate, will no longer be remembered. And they will now be the Lord's delight and the people who are married to him. So for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold peace, hold their peace, day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest until he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. This is a serious call to supplication, to crying out to God in prayer. And notice who it's for. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Keep praying, keep calling out to him and give him no rest. Wow, give him no rest. This this is like what Jesus said when he said, keep on asking. When it came to prayer, remember Jesus said, he gave the illustration, if a father is asked by his son for a piece of bread, would he give him a stone? Or if he was asked for, a, the son asked the father for a piece of fish, would he give him a serpent? And then he says, if you who are evil by nature, if you know how to give good things to your children, how much more your father in heaven? And then Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open to you. And the tense in those words in the original language is, Actually, keep on asking, 
Keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That's what it says here. Give him no rest. Keep asking. Do we do that with the Lord? I know that I, I don't. I get weary, I give up, I pray about things, and then I stop praying about them, and then I catch myself and think, oh gosh, how, how did I stop praying about that? But that's what the call is, to give him no rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So in other words, until, you know, Lord, come, and Lord, do your work in the meantime. And I think, and I know a lot of other men like myself and ladies too, who think that we are, we're at a place where we could see a great outpouring of the Spirit of God in our time. Now, I have believed for years that the Lord had told me that that was the future. And I've prayed for that much over the years, but I have to admit, sometimes I just, I just stop praying about it and I forget about it. But, but right now is a moment where you just realize that we need the Lord to intervene. And I was thinking the other day, and we've probably shared this before, but I was thinking about the parallels between the 1960s, the second half of the 1960s and the early 1970s to today. And the parallels are very, very fascinating. And of course, we had a ton of unrest in the country. In the 60s, we had, I mean, we had major leaders in the nation assassinated with the president, uh, civil rights leader, uh, senator. We had all kinds of upheaval around the Vietnam War. We had protests everywhere. You know, back in those days, they actually were shooting real bullets at some people and students on university campus were gunned down by the, I think it was the National Guard, actually. And, you know, we had the Black Panthers and we had these different groups that were, you know, fighting for justice and conflict. We, you know, we had all of this stuff. And we had a space program. And it was in the middle of that. I was thinking about this the other day. It was in the middle of that chaos and confusion that God began to pour out his spirit in an extraordinary way. It wasn't after. It wasn't like, okay, that was a crazy moment. Let's settle down. Let's get life back to business as usual. And then after everything calmed down, then God showed up and started working. No, no. The Lord showed up right in the midst of the chaos and he began to save people radically, right and left. And man, I think like, okay, Lord, we are kind of back there where we were then. And you showed up right in the middle of that mess and you started fixing it one person at a time. And that's, we know now is, was a revival, an awakening. It was an interjection of the spirit of God into a chaotic moment in human history. And I think we're set for that very thing again. And so here's what we're told. Give him no rest. Let's pray for this. Let's keep asking God for this. Let's cry out to him. Let's do it personally. Let's do it collectively. Let's do it as a congregation. Let's do it as an entire church. Universally, God, pour out your spirit in these days. And here again, until you make Jerusalem a praise in the earth, 
This, of, of course, again, is a reference to, to the Lord returning and setting up that righteous kingdom. So we can pray for that. And, you know, in, in the Old Testament, you have pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You have here, give him no rest until he makes Jerusalem a, a praise in the earth and so forth. You know, the New Testament version of that is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. You see, today, I don't really pray for the peace of Jerusalem unless it happens to be a a particular uh, moment where Jerusalem is disrupted by terrorism or whatever it might be. And, And then I would pray for that. But today, when I, because those prayers that were prayed in the Psalms and, and by the various prophets for the, the peace of Jerusalem and so forth, what they were praying for ultimately was the kingdom of God to come. And so Jesus tells us, this is how you pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when that happens, Jerusalem will be a praise in all the earth. So the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, surely I will no longer give your grain as food for your enemies and the sons of the foreigner shall not drink your new wine for which you have labored, but those who have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up a banner for the people. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world. Lifting up a banner, the idea is, you know, it's it's like proclaiming. And so he's saying, proclaim the word, proclaim the gospel, proclaim it to the end of the world. Say to the daughter of Zion, listen to this, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work is before him. Your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward. Your salvation is a person. It's not an idea. It's not a philosophy, a political philosophy or nothing like that. Salvation will never come through those kinds of things. Salvation comes through a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Now, really interesting little note here. The word salvation, now, maybe you know this, but let me remind you. Jesus means Yahweh is Savior. That's the meaning of the name. In Hebrew, you would say it Yeshua. Yah, Yahweh, is salvation, Shua. Here is the, the very word, your, surely your salvation is Shua. It's, this text is actually telling the name of the Savior, the Lord, Yeshua. And Again, making it crystal clear that salvation is not just, you know, something that's happening in an indirect sense. It's happening directly through the agency of a person, that person being none other than the Lord Jesus. And they shall call 
them, the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out a city not forsaken. Wow. So these passages, as we've said, they're talking about the coming again of Jesus and the fact that he's going to come and he's bring, going to bring salvation. He's going to bring salvation to Israel, to Jerusalem. He's going to bring salvation to the world. He's going to save the world. He's going to deliver the world from, from the destruction of sin and all of those things. But here's the thing we have to remember as we close tonight. That Savior has already come. And although he will come and he will save the whole world in the sense of the cosmos, he is now here and he's saving anyone who will call upon him to be their savior. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And until Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom and delivers the world from sin and evil and so forth. Until that, salvation happens one person at a time. And we can't lose sight of that. The people that are most likely to fix society are the people who themselves have become saved. And so as we look even at the bigger picture of societal sicknesses and things like that, the gospel itself and people truly influenced by the gospel. That, that's the answer there. But, but it has to start in our own hearts. And, you know, Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they will both fall into a ditch. We cannot lead somebody else out of darkness if we ourselves are in darkness. And we come out of darkness by receiving the Savior. And so just in closing, if, you know, Probably the case that everybody watching has already received Jesus as the Savior. Good. That's great. (laughs) And just keep following him. But if there happens to be anyone who has not done that, then this is the moment for you to open your heart, to ask God to forgive your sin, to come into your life, to be your Savior And just like all of these beautiful things we're reading about what he's going to do for his people and for the, for Jerusalem and all of that in the future, you know, he's going to do a version of that in your own life. That's the beauty. That's the wonderful thing. God can take the most broken, twisted, messed up situation and, and he can make it right. But you don't have to be in your own mind or to people around you broken and twisted and messed up. You could have your act together, but you don't have your spiritual act together. You're not connected with God. So having your act together is, is in a sense, it's a facade because it's, it's a temporary situation that has no substance to it. You need to know the God who made you and have him forgive your sins and come into your life. So if that's you, just say this prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I admit that. I I confess that I've sinned, and I ask you to be my Savior and to take charge of my life. And if you do that, Christ will come.
month of September. Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? by Timothy Keller. Have you ever been wronged or hurt to the point that it's difficult to forgive the person or people that hurt you? Why is it so difficult to forgive those who have hurt us? In his book, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? Timothy Keller explains why forgiveness is so important. He also explains what forgiveness is and the various ways it's been misunderstood culturally, both inside and outside the church. Timothy Keller will help you truly understand all the dimensions of forgiveness. You'll learn the principles of forgiveness and the practical ways to practice forgiveness in your own life as you move towards relational reconciliation with others. If you want to know why forgiveness is so important and how you can forgive others who have hurt you, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? by Timothy Keller. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.